going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 this morning. If you want to turn there, I'll pray. Lord, we're, uh, again, we're just thankful, God, that uh, we open this, this book, Lord. It's the only book that speaks to us, Lord. It's the, your word, uh, and it, you, 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 you know how to speak into the who of who we are, Lord, what we need to hear. Truth, God, you're, you're, you're not afraid to speak truth. We need it, God. So we're just uh, thankful we get to meet with you this morning, hear from you this morning. God, this is your word. It's alive. And uh, we're just asking uh, for ears to hear this morning, hearts to obey, hearts uh, not just to be corrected, Lord. There's encur- so much encouragement in your word. You want to speak truth to us, God. So pray we're sensitive to that today, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your presence here, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is one of those stories in the Bible everyone knows. It doesn't matter if you go to church or not, if you're a Christian or not, you've heard of David and Goliath. It's one of those stories that, you know, I, when I would fill in for Sunday school, like someone doesn't show up or, you know, someone's not here, we need somebody, what are you sharing with the kids? This is one of the stories. All right, let's tell them about David and Goliath, right? You, you, you turn to 1 Samuel 17 and you share the size of Goliath and, you know, the size of David and, you know, this battle that takes place and how God wins this battle. You know, it's, it's one of those stories that, that, you know, you've probably read a lot, heard a lot, maybe shared a lot. Uh, that's kind of the story it is for me. Um, and we see here, it, it starts out, uh, if you remember, I just want to give you a, just a brief recap. Last chapter, David is anointed by Samuel. Oil is poured on him, and the Spirit uh, comes upon him from that time forward, it says. And then a, a, a disturbing spirit from the Lord comes upon Saul. And that's kind of where we're at here. It says this in in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Sukkah and and Azekah in Ephes Demin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So the problem that Joshua had back in chapter 13 is that the Philistines were gaining ground on the Israelites. They were coming into the land. And with that battle and what Saul began to do is they were pushing them out and pushing them back and pushing them back until we get to the last chapter, chapter 16, where an evil spirit comes upon Saul, and now he's losing strength. He's losing power. Saul is giving up ground again. We see here that they're in the land of Israel, and and the Philistines are like sharks. Uh, When they sense blood in the water, man, they're surrounding. They probably know that Saul is weakening. They've heard what's happened, probably to a degree. They know what's happening as they go go to battle, they're able to push Israel back. When before that, I think it's chapter 15, that Saul establishes his power and he's fighting all these other nations and pushing them back. And they sense that there's, there's, there's a weakening of Saul and now they're brave. And that's what the devil does. 
uh, and we've shared that, you know, I've shared that before, uh, that, that he's looking at you. He's looking at me. He's studying you. He's studying me. He's looking for your weakness, for my weakness. He's, he's watching your steps. He knows what you watch. He knows those things. And he's looking for an opportunity to drive you back, to get an entrance into areas of your heart, to take ground in your heart. And the Lord Jesus warned Peter of that, right? That, you know, the devil wants to sift you as wheat, and Peter shrugged him off. No way. Me, Peter? I'm, I'm ready to die for you, Lord. Peter shrugged him off completely. And little did he know that that's what would happen. And then Peter would write uh, in his epistle to the church that, hey, watch out. You have an adversary. It's the devil. And he goes about as a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? And, and lions, you know, where are they? You know, you think of Africa uh, and, it's, and it's survival of the fittest, isn't it? Lions are, are the top of the food chain and they're looking for blood in the water. They're looking for every opportunity. They're not just scavengers. They're looking for the weak, the vulnerable, the struggling. They're looking for an entrance to eat, right? They're, the, they're what you're afraid of. It's not everything you're afraid of. You know, we went to Africa, realized hippos were not good. Uh, there's a lot of other things that aren't good in Africa, but you know, you think of lions. I think that's why Peter says it. He's a lion. He's a roaring lion. Uh, and, and, and that's what the Philistines, they're, they're, they're moving in on, on their turf. And it's a defensive position. There's a standoff. They're both on one hill in this valley in between. Ephes Demim. It's, it means the boundary of blood. It's probably a regular battlefield where these guys go and, and wage war. It's the boundary, this battlefield of blood, which they're, 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 they're used to meeting there. It's a common meeting ground uh, for this battle. And, and y- you know what? We all have battlefields. There's a common ground. The enemy's trying to come in. And it's the battlefield of your mind, number one, right? Controlling your actions, controlling your thoughts. What we believe, what we don't believe. The, the devil is there. Our adversary is there. And, and we're going to see here, verse 4, Samuel describes this giant that comes out. It's, the, it's, it's you know... If you can imagine teaching your kids or, you know, remember teaching your kids or Sunday school kids, the description of, uh, this is one of the, you know, last year we were in Africa and this is uh, what we played out for a a Sunday school skit for the kids or a Saturday afternoon skit. Uh, Chad was on his stilts, scared all the kids, even the older kids, teenagers, they were afraid to even go get up close. Like, come on, let's go up and meet him. Like, no, no. Scary. Even the play was scary to them. It says, verse 4, the champion went out from, from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had bronze, a bronze helmet on his head, 
And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. So it wasn't, he had so much armor, he had a guy that had to carry his shield. And, and the estimates there are saying that, that this guy is nine and a half feet tall, somewhere in there, like big guy, right? You know, and, and not, you know, I think I thought of someone that tall in the NBA that I used to watch, uh, and you may not know these guys, as Sean Bradley or Manute Bowl. These guys are 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, Manute Bowl, they only, you know, he weighed 200 pounds. He was a, you know, that's less than me at 6'7". I mean, 7'7". Seven, seven. And then 7'6", uh, was Sean Bradley. He only weighed 275 pounds. This guy is a giant. This guy's not over three feet taller than that, two feet taller than that, uh, and probably weighs up to five, six hundred pounds. His coat of mail, just what he wore, was between 125 and some estimates say 225 pounds. Just what he was wearing. It's not Manute Bowl. It's not a bean pole here we're looking at. We're looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, times, you know, three feet taller, though. This guy is a warrior. This guy is tough, strong, and he's going out. And, and so Samuel's describing this guy for a reason, you know, because it's fearful. Um, if you turn with me real quick to, uh, to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, the spies are sent out, and they, they're coming back here. And it says in verse 32, it says, They gave the children of Israel, these are ten of the spies, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Right? Are they cannibals? I don't know. And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So the way we saw ourselves, we're grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. That, that, I'm sh they're saying, I'm sure that's the way they're looking at us. We're grasshoppers. We're tiny like, this is not a good land. So the congregation, in, in chapter 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. I wish we would have died, they said. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to the land. So let's pick another, you know, Moses, we're done with you. 
can someone march us back to Egypt? It was better there, right? They're not believing God. They're, they're only going by what they see and not by what God has told them and everything God has showed them with their sight and you know, all the miracles. We need another leader. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, right? So their perspective is, is right. Joshua and Caleb, their perspective is right. And they go in, you know, as you go through the book of Joshua. If you want to turn to Joshua with me for one, one second, chapter 14 also. We'll read one more scripture. Moses can't go in. And Joshua leads the, the, this nation into the promised land, and they're defeating nation after nation. Uh, in fact, in Joshua chapter 11, we won't turn there, it says that they took all the land of the giants, except for three, Gath, Gaza, and Ashdod. Those are the only three cities that were left that had giants in them. It says this in verse 1, These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the, in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance. And their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. And Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, skip to verse 6, unnecessary I guess, uh, and the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Ken Kenizzite, said to them, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Canish Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up to, with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the, those words to, to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, I'm 85 years old. And I'm as strong as the day that Moses sent me in. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, 
give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and the cities were great and fortified. And it may be that the Lord will, will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. And Hebron, therefore, became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Ken, Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb says, listen, these, these guys, they're bred for me. I'm 85 years old. I want that mountain. Like, 85 years old, I'm thinking, I want a couch. I want to lay down. I want to watch TV. That's not Caleb. He's like, these giants, they're going to be bred for me. They're meat. I'm not done battling. This war's not over. It never is. I'm going to battle. I'm going to war, and I'm not going to stop. I'm holding on to the promises of God. I'm not going to give up any ground. And that's this defensive position. It was like, yeah, maybe we're not giving up ground, but we're not taking ground. Caleb's like, no, I'm going after that. That mountain's mine. God promised me that mountain, and I'm going after it. I'm not going to stop, right? That's the promise you and I hold on to because we give up ground. There's giants in our life. You're going to face giants, giant trials, difficulties, temptations, all kinds of stuff. You're going to face them. And you could say, stay neutral. And the enemy, we're going to find out that as this giant continues to mock Israel and mock Israel and, and, and shame these guys, you know, you're men, you got soldiers, come on after me. We're going to read that in a second. He begins later in the chapter, now he's climbing up the other mountain, taking more ground. He's heading up the hill. I'm taking more ground, right? And that's the devil, what the devil wants to do to you and I. He wants to grab more ground in your heart. In your mind, he wants you to fear. And that's the whole reason that, that Samuel's describing this guy like this. There should be a little fear. This was a fearful guy. This was their, their champion, their number one guy. Like, he's got the belt in their land, right? Whether it's boxing or MMA, this guy was the one. It says this, not only does he look the part, now he speaks the part. And then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Like, what are you doing there? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Like, if you're men, if, if you're a man, right, come on in battle. If you think you're a man, right, someone pokes you in the chest. That's what he's doing. He's poking at these guys. Hey, you're a man. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And that wasn't unusual uh, for, for, you know, Two men to go at it rather than armies. I mean, you're, you're talking about families lost, people lost, what that re represented uh, to Israel and to the Philistines. So they would sometimes do that. It wasn't unusual. But we're going to see that this battle, this taunting, this torment lasted 40 days, right? And, and they're going at it. So it says this in verse 12, David was the son of that Ephraim. 
Ephrathite. Back in verse 11, it says this. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Everyone in Israel saw this guy as, as someone they could not defeat. Right? Israel's response was to be dismayed and afraid. Like, oh man, what are we going to do? This is crazy. Like, what, what can you do? Here comes this guy. He's challenging you. I don't know. You, you think someone could shoot him with an arrow? Or 40 guys rush this guy? Like, what? And they're, they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, I've got to believe even in the natural, there's something they could do. Let's send out the horses. <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's get them with something. But man, they're dismayed and afraid. That word, dis- to be dismayed, means to be mentally broken. They lost their mental toughness, their will to fight. They have lost all hope. Their eyes aren't on the Lord anymore. They're on this giant in the land, and they cannot escape. To be greatly afraid, not just afraid to, to be greatly afraid, that word afraid means to honor, to respect, to literally bow down to fear. Like they have, they've succumbed to all fear. They're distressed. They're like, what do we do? There's no hope. There's no help. There's nothing we can do to win. How can we change it? And, and the devil's telling them the same thing. You can't get out. You can't win. You're done. Just give them the land. And that's what the devil wants to tell you and I. Man, there's no, you can't change this. There's no fixing this. You're going to have to give up this ground. You're going to have to give up this land. You can't stop doing this. The Lord doesn't love you. That's why you're going through this. And how do you combat those thoughts against Goliath, this, this guy who's tormenting? Like, go to the gym and do some more reps? Man, I better hit the gym here. Do, do, I'm going to do arms tomorrow. I'm going to do chest the next day. I'm going to do some legs. I think in a little while, I'm going to be able to fight this guy. Like, I'm going to work on my javelin throwing. No, you've got to work on your head. You've got to work on your walk. You've got to work on your heart, right? You're not going to be able to throw a javelin. You know, the head of it was 20 pounds. Like, this guy has got armor. He's got a guy that goes before him. This guy, you're not going to fight him. There's no way. You don't go to the gym. You need to plug something else into your brain. David's strength, we're going, to come, we're going to see him come on the scene. He doesn't come from the gym. He comes from his private time with the Lord. He comes from the shepherd's field, spending time with the Lord where he's writing psalms, where he's singing to the Lord, where he's out there in the, in the field just talking to God, writing about the stars that he sees and the walk that he has. And, and, and he's walking with the Lord closely. That's, that's where it comes from. Because the battle's coming. The enemy's coming. He wants to take over territory. If you remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah is there with his servant Gehazi, and Syria is trying to attack Israel. They're coming in all these different ways. And God is telling Elijah, like, all right, hey, they're coming this way. And Elijah would send a messenger, hey, Syria's attacking over here. They're setting up camp over here. And, and the king of Syria is like, who is telling this guy what's going on? What, is there somebody in our ranks 
that's a spy. And they're like, no, 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 Elijah, everything you say in your bedroom, your, your most private place, God tells him. He's like, all right, let's get this guy. So they surround the city that Elijah and Gehazi, his servant, are in. And Gehazi wakes up and sees the city surrounded like, oh, my goodness. And he wakes up, Elijah, listen, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elijah says, listen, Lord. And he prays, Lord, open his eyes. And he sees behind those soldiers a heavenly host of angels surrounding him, seeing things in the right perspective. And that's what David's going to bring on the scene here. He's going to bring in perspective. What's really happening? What the truth is here? What's going on? He's going to bring the spiritual perspective, an eternal one, right? So he opens his eyes, and, and, and then, you know, the battle's won. God just blinds this, this, that army, and they're able to lead them into captivity for a short time, and then they let them go. So they're dismayed, they're afraid. Fear is never a good shepherd. To be dismayed, to lose your mental toughness is never good. You have to work on that. And that comes from spending time in the word of God and with the Lord. You can lose that because the devil is like a shark. (laughs) The devil is like a lion. He's looking for access into your life, into your heart, into your mind. And then it says, verse 12, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. So David comes on the scene. His name means beloved or love or loving. You know, he's known for this battle. Jonathan, is, is him and Jonathan become friends. Jonathan has to convince his dad. He has to tell him, remind him of this story that David risked his life on this battlefield for you, Saul. Why are you trying to kill him now? David risked his life. And and Saul's like, oh, yeah, 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 what am I thinking? He's not going to die, right? And he relents for a time. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went out into battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the second, and Shammah was the third. These guys were all guys that passed before Samuel, right? In fact, Eliab was the guy that says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me, right? Probably still sticking with Eliab. We're going to see him tell David some things. Uh, These guys were all sons of Jesse, but they weren't David. They were different. They have a different heart. They're warriors. They're following Saul into battle. David is following. We're going to see David is following the Lord into battle. And verse 14 says, David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went in and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So at this point, we know David does become Saul's armor bearer. We know that David is, doesn't leave the court of Saul. But at this time, he's just one of those songs on Spotify that that David comes in and plays. There's probably other people that play for Saul as this evil spirit, you know, distressing spirit comes upon Saul. People play for him, worship music, right? And they they don't have an Alexa to just play any song or whatever that is. You just talk to it and it plays a song. You know, they got to get in a lot. They got to have a live band. And David was one of them. So he goes occasionally 
and he would return and feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. That's 80 times every day, taunting these guys relentlessly. And Jesse said to his son David, take grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. So rumors are swirling, supplies are getting low. This is 40 days now of this standoff, which is unusual. And, and you know, rumors are swirling and, and Jesse's like, you got to tell me what's going on, how your brothers are doing, right? There's no, you know, uh, Fox News or anything like that. I'm hearing all these rumors. Go see how they're doing. Bring them some supplies. They need that, right? And it says, verse 19, Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David arose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. So he goes out, David goes out, and you know he, he brings a different perspective. We're going to see that. But he comes out, but he doesn't tell his dad, you know, dad, I'm... You know, now I'm doing some worship in the, in the king's court. You think there's anyone else we can send? You know, that's a little, you know, I don't do that stuff anymore. No, David's like, like excited to go to the battle, to see what's going on, to help, to see what, what's really taking place. Nothing's below him, uh, and, and he cares for the sheep. It's like, oh, these, you know, there's a few sheep, but, man, I got to make sure they're with someone. And nothing's below this guy. Serving God, serving the Lord in any capacity, nothing's below him, nothing's beneath him, uh, and, and God is watching to see his faithfulness. David is faithful, there's a few sheep in the wilderness, and David leaves them with somebody, right? He's not like, oh, hopefully they'll be all right, I'll be back in a couple days, they usually stay in this area. No, he keeps them tended with another guy, somebody he can trust, somebody that he cares for, and, and that cares for him, and you know, God is watching your activity and what you're doing and your faithfulness. You know, I, I heard a, uh, I heard a story of a of a pastor, uh, Damian Kyle. He worked uh, as a, an electrician or a lineman, and he was shoveling, working really hard. He, he was the low man on the totem pole, so he's shoveling, 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 and all of a sudden, the boss comes rolling up, and the guy standing next to him who had been talking the whole time grabs the shovel out of Damien's hands and starts shoveling. And Damien's, you know, standing there with nothing in his hand. Like, oh, man. And the guy's looking at him. The boss is looking at him, talks to him. And, and, and you know, Damien's all sweat, dirt. This guy looks like he's shoveling, whatever. And then later, Damien just continues to be faithful. He's a Christian on the job. And the, the boss starts to bring him to other jobs. He says, all right, listen, I, I want you to watch over these jobs for me. And he kind of put, put Damien in front of this other guy, and, and you know, he says, all right, here's what you got to do. Before you even get to the job, here's the binoculars. He's like, the binoculars? He says, yeah, I saw what you did there. He says, I saw that guy wasn't working, and he grabbed your shovel. He, he says, long before you pull onto the site, you need to see what everyone's doing. You need to take a look. 
And that's being faithful. And David's faithful. Like nothing's below him. Nothing's beneath him in serving the Lord. There's, there's no, you know, and, and you hear that out of people. You know, I remember early on in the ministry, you know, people weren't willing to do, some people weren't willing to do much, but, but they would say, hey, if you need someone to fill in teaching or if you need someone to fill in, like, oh, we do. Yeah, how about Sunday school? Well, you know, I'm kind of busy. I got my own kids or like, all right. To be faithful in what God has called you to do. Nothing was below David and David is going to be the next king of Israel. He's going to be the greatest king as Israel's ever seen and he's faithful in the little. And it says this in verse 21, Israel and the Philistines had drawn up into the battle array and, and the army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. And now he's coming up from the armies of the Philistines. He's going up the hill and he spoke according to the same words. And this time now David hears him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were dreadfully afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come, come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be. And here's the promise. This is Saul is getting so desperate, he's not going to fight him. And, and if you remember, Saul is Israel's giant, right? He's head and shoulders above everybody. But here's, here's what he says. The man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches... Right? That was probably the first promise. All right, if you kill this guy, we'll, we'll, I'll make you rich. And then that didn't work. So he says, all right, if you, if you kill this guy, you know, I'll give you my daughter. Uh, like You'll be a king, the king's son. And that didn't work. And then he says he'll give his, father, his father's house exemption from tax in Israel. Right? That's a pretty, pretty good offer. Right? You'll not only be rich, you'll marry the king's son, but you'll be tax-exempt. And that matters if you live in New York. It doesn't matter if you live in Tennessee or someplace like that, but it does matter here. That's big. So this is a great proposition, but this is the first time David sees and he gets to process what's happening. He sees Goliath come out and he sees Israel's response, right? And this is for 40 days and there's no takers. And they're like shoving David saying, hey, Look at this. Have you seen anything like this? Can you imagine fighting this guy? And look at what the king's offering. This is huge. And verse 26 says, And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away, and here's the new perspective, the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, David is incensed. He's incensed and insulted by what this guy is doing and the response of Israel, that no one's doing anything, that he's, they're being intimidated by this blasphemer. And this is the first person and the first time really got, anyone's thought about, man, this is God's battle. This is God's war, and we're trusting in him. And this is his ground that he's given to us. This is what... If you turn to Psalm 8 with me real quick. Psalm 8, Psalm 9, where Psalms thought, you know, people think that David wrote these around this time. In 
And David comes in with a new perspective. Psalm 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies, that you might silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? For you've, you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and ox and beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So David looks at Goliath but looks above Goliath and sees God and sees that Goliath is no match for him. It says this in verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner and said, yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen. In verse 28, this is, this is really David's first battle that he has to face. It says, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why are you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. First, David has to deal with his brother, right? That his brother gives him a sucker punch and says, you know, I know why you're here. You're just, you're just nosy. You're just a busybody. This is all about you, David, and you're not, you don't really care about what's happening, right? And, and, Number one, you're not qualified to do this, David. You're a shepherd, and you're not even a good one at that. You're just taking care of a couple sheep in the field, and you're not great at that. And I think you have an agenda here. What are you doing? I know your pride, the insolence of your heart. That's why you're here, right? And I think Eliab, probably a couple reasons why he may have said this. First, I think Eliab, number, Eliab thinks that maybe he should have done this. Maybe he feels a little guilty, maybe a little convicted that, that maybe he should have said that, like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Who is this guy? Why are we letting him do this? And, and then I also think Eliab is a little, you know, a little, took a little burn to the fact that he was passed by by Samuel, and he's maybe a little jealous or whatever. And, and so that's why he's saying that. And, and David said, you know, what have I done now? Isn't there a cause? Verse 29, isn't there a reason? Don't you guys see the reason that God's glory is at stake here? That this is his people? Isn't there a cause? Isn't there a reason to do this? And then he turned, verse 30, from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did, <laughs> you know. So David turns and he has a choice. The, the, he didn't have a choice at what Eliab was going to tell him, but he does have a choice what to do now. Am I going to turn and go home? Am I going to turn and fight Eliab and argue with him? Am I going to fight with, with Eliab? Or am I going to turn and say, you know, hey, there's a cause here. There's a reason to stand up against Goliath and what he represents. And the words which David spoke were heard, and they were reported, reported to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail 
because of him. For your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. So David, I mean, he didn't say much other than, man, who is this guy? But it was different than what everyone else was saying. And, and news got back to, to, to Saul, and they bring David in front of Saul. And David says, listen, don't worry. I'll fight this guy. Like, can you imagine? I'm going to fight this guy. Not in arrogance, but faith. In, in David's mind, Goliath was already dead. This is God's battle. And Saul said to David, here's, here's the second battle David has to fight, an, another area of discouragement. Uh, this man of war tells David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. You're just a young kid, probably mid to late teens. But he's a man of war from his youth. He's tr been trained in this. He's gone through the Philistine school of war. He's been doing this forever. He's in the gym every day. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Like, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Like, David took what he did pretty serious. Like, these are lambs. Can't they make more lambs, I think? You know, but he took that very serious. I'm not going to lose one. And that's the way he looks at this battle. I'm not going to lose one. Right? His perspective was different. And what he did, he was able to look back at God's victories and say, you know what? God's the same today. He's going to give me victory today the same way he did in the past. Some people just live in the past. Some people live in the past like that's this victory. Yeah, I remember, I remember God did this through me 30 years ago or you know, 40 years ago. And that's, there's no present. There's nothing going on right now in your life. There's nothing going on right now in your life. David said, this is what you see. I'm not sure if it was just one bear and one lion. He said, when a bear would come into the camp or a lion. Like maybe it happened more. Maybe he's got more bear heads and bear skins and lion skins than just two. He says, the Lord will deliver me from the, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. Now David is not only going to stir up, the, his faith is going to stir up the army, it's stirring up Saul. He's like, all right, go and the Lord be with you. Go ahead. Actually, I've got some armor for you too. So a little deceptive. David is, David is like uh, uh, ready to go. He got the approval from Saul, and, but he's like, all right, hold on though. Let me give you my armor. And verse 39, it says, David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these for I haven't tested them. This isn't my armor, it's yours. David took them off. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys know this. I'm just going to read it quickly. Uh, but I wonder if, if, if Paul the Apostle thought about this when he wrote it. Ephesians chapter 6, talking about our warfare because it's, it's not fleshly. 
We're just not battling people. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. The, the trouble with Saul and the whole army, they were looking strictly at their own power, their own strength. How can I overcome this? How can I stop? There's no way you can stop apart from the Lord. There's no way. And, and apart from Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't get victory over sin. You can't get victory over your flesh. The devil, trials, temptation, difficulties. Paul says this, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12 says, we were not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not a person. It's not Goliath but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God, not Saul's armor, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having, your, having gird your waist with truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then watch unto this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul gets pretty intense there. Like, you're in a battle, we're in a battle, I'm in a battle. You need to put your armor on every day because the devil, worse than Goliath, the devil is coming after you. So he takes Saul's armor off and it says, verse 40, he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine, right? Uh, Five stones, he's already committed in, in, in the Valley of Elad. You know, I've never been there, but there's a, a, a stream that ran through there that's only full in the uh, spring when everything thaws, full of rocks. So he goes down. He's already committed at the base of the hill where this battle is going to take place. He grabs five, people say, from 2 Samuel, I think it's 21, that Saul had four brothers. That's why he grabbed five stones, uh, maybe. I don't think it's because he lacked faith that he thought he might miss. Um, and he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked out and they saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth and ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he, now he's mocking David, like, Who are you? You think you can fight me? So the battle is, for David is intense every second. From the second he, he gets to the front lines. It's intense. And the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you've come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of, the Lord of hosts, the God of arm, the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you 
And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth might know that there is a God in Israel. And then all the assemblies shall know. So two testimonies, two reasons that, that David says, I'm going to do this. Number one, that the earth might know and that our God's people might know and they might remember and their faith might be stirred up. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David says, listen, I'm not only going to take you out, we're coming after the, the whole army. This isn't going to end here. It's not going to stop here. We're not going to stop with, this, with, with just you. I'm going to take you down, and we're going to come after the whole camp of, of the Philistines. And, and Goliath certainly wasn't used to this. So it was, when the Philistines arose, they came and drew near to meet David, and David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth, right? That hit him right in the head. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine. You know, he's hoping he's dead. Uh, and, and he took his sword and he drew it out of its sheath. So he grabs his sword, takes it out, and he kills him and he cuts off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So their faith is now gone. Their faith in their champion is over. <laughs> exactly what David said. Man, the, the earth is going to know. That's what happened with Joshua, Gideon. Like faith was stirred through those, those guys and what they did and just obeying God. So they flee and the men of Israel and Judah arose and they shouted, now the faith of Israel is aroused again. And they pursued the Philistine as, as far as the the entrance of the valley that goes to the gates of Akron and wounded the Philistines along the road of Sherim, even as far as Gath and Akron. Those are both cities of the giants. So they're running for help. They're going to the cities of the giants and Israel's following them right there. They're not afraid. Like we're going in, not only are we going to fight Goliath, we're going right to the cities. And the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put the armor in his tent. So now David's carrying the head of this Philistine. Who knows how big that is? Probably as big as a lion or a bear. And, and when Saul, Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I don't know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. So Saul may have known David, recognized him uh, from playing worship. He wants to know whose family he is, though, who his father is, because now he knows that this guy is tax-exempt from now on, right? He's guy, you know, so that's part of the reason why, all right, who's his family? Who, who, is, who do I, oh, I hopefully he doesn't own a lot of land and it doesn't cut into my, my, my taxes that much. Like, who is this guy? And the king uh, said, inquire whose son the, the young man is. And, and David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines and Abner took 
him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answers, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite, right? So David tells him who he is. And, and from this time on, Saul's not going to let him go. Uh, and he'll be known, David will be known for this battle. David is going to be known as a warrior. He's going to be known for killing Saul. I, I mean, people are going to love this guy. Uh, and, and, you know, at, at one time, David is not significant at all. He's not significant in his father's eyes. He's not significant in his brother's eyes. He's not significant even though he's playing in the court, a great musician. He's not even significant in Saul's eyes at this point. But in God's eyes, he sees this young man. He says, that's the guy I want you to anoint, Samuel. Here's a guy that has a heart after me. That's the guy I want you to anoint. He becomes very significant in, in all of Israel and in a lot of ways. And he's known for this battle. You know, what are we known for? Are we known for faith or fear? Are we distressed, fearful, afraid to go into battle, afraid to deal with things in our lives and our hearts? Are we, when a trial or difficulty comes, are, are we frozen in fear and distressed by it? Like, oh man, how are we going to get this? It'll never work out. How are we going to do this? Does fear grip you? Or is it faith? Like, God, we need help. You need to move. We're going to lean on you. That's what David did. David's strength came from his time alone with the Lord, separate from anything and everyone. David will become part of Saul's army, and he'll have his own men. And those men in David's army, because of David's faith, they'll become giant killers. These guys become men of war, men that are not afraid of giants. They're not, they're the, the, and we're going to meet some of them. They're men that are distressed, perplexed, they're discomfort. All these different words that, that the Bible uses to describe David's men, they're not the men you would maybe pick for the Marine Corps or the Army or the Air, you know, whatever. Air Force, they're like, all right, those guys, maybe we put them aside. We'll pick them if we, get, if we get a little desperate. And Those are the guys that came to David and they became giant killers. God wants to use your life. He wants to use our lives. What do we want to be known for? Being afraid, distressed, perplexed. Because that's what the children of Israel were because they never looked up. They never looked up. So, Lord, we're thankful, for God, that you are the author and finisher of our faith, God. You work in impossible situations. You see the Goliaths, the, the ground that's being taken in our own hearts even, bringing fear and distress, losing the will to fight, for some of these men to move forward, willing to, to be in neutral, to stand still and definitely not take ground, Lord. We're praying that today that you'd stir our faith, that we would take ground in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Our connection with you, our relationship, our walk with you would grow deeper.
our fellowship with you would be stronger, Lord, and, and that we would put on our armor, Lord, because we're facing battles every day. Battles against the, the Bible says that the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a, quite a combination that we face, Lord, but with you, Lord, uh, it's possible. There's victory. So we just give you our lives, we give you our hearts, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.